Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. If you're kind of new to BC or maybe you haven't been able to catch all of the weeks in the Bad Day series, let me sum up what this series is all about. Uh, we wanted to take a look at literally, hashtag worst day ever, Jesus uh, when he was crucified. I mean, no one has ever had a worse day than Jesus did on the cross. And we feel like there are some things that we can learn and we can lift out of the statements that Jesus made. And so there are seven weeks to this series. We don't typically go that long with the series, but we felt like every week was meaningful and there was something that, could, uh, that God could teach us through that story and through that statement. And if you're, if you're one of those people that you're detail people, you're counting and you're reading through the gospels and you're like, I don't see seven statements in every gospel. And that's very observant because we actually took a composite of all of the statements given in all of the accounts of the gospel. Some were highlighted in some gospels and some in others, and they all add up to seven. And so today I get to talk about the fourth statement. And let me just set the scene of what's happening here. If you've been with us, Pastor Joe has done really a great job of describing and depicting what Jesus has gone through. Because nobody had a more painful day. Nobody experienced more shame. Nobody experienced more humiliation than Jesus did the day that he was crucified for our sake. And then to add insult to injury, Jesus is hanging there and and all of a sudden, the sky goes dark. And Jesus is just kind of hanging there in the darkness. And I don't know about you, but doubt and darkness in my life usually go hand in hand. Like, it's easy to trust God when I can see him and I can make sense of everything around me. It's, it's hard when I can't see him. That's when the doubts really start to come to the surface. That's when the questions start to pile up. And as a matter of fact, Jesus, he asks God a question in this moment. He actually says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, don't skip by that. Because remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man in this moment. Remember, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus knew the plan and the purpose of him being on the cross. Yet in this moment, while he's hanging in darkness, fighting for every breath, pulling himself up just to get a breath in, there's this human nature that pops up in him, and he asks God a very human question. God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? And I love that about Jesus because here's what he's showing us. There is no pain, and there is no struggle, and there is no humiliation that you go through that Jesus hasn't already gone through with you. And we can go through anything because Jesus went through everything for us on the cross. So here's what starts to happen. We can start to ask some pretty big questions of God. I mean, when, when we're dealing with doubt and we can't see clearly, the questions start to really pile up. Like, God, why is there evil in the world? How could a good God allow Kyrie Irving to leave the Cavaliers and go to the Boston Celtics? I mean, how, furthermore, how could Kevin Durant leave his team and go to that team? I mean, real questions, right? And huh, I'm kidding, kind of. <laughs> Pray for me. No, but... But how about the real ones? Like, God, why the cancer? Why, why do bad things happen to good people? And while we're at it, why do good things happen to bad people? Why does this person get healed and this person doesn't? Why the divorce? Why the relationship issues? Why the brokenness in this world? All of our whys start to add up. And here, here's what can happen. If we don't know what to do with our doubts and we don't know where to put our whys, 
then it can actually create distance between us and God. It can actually create distance between us and others. And that's not the way God intended it. You know, it's a shame, but the church is kind of notorious for not being a welcoming space when it comes to people who have doubts. As a matter of fact, it's like kind of the last, piece, uh, last place people tend to look when they're struggling with questioning God in the world that they live in. There was this research study that was done by Barna, and I don't think it's any secret that in the church globally, but especially in America, uh, young people are leaving by the droves. And many of us don't realize that at a generational church like BC, this is not the norm. This isn't what church looks like. It's crazy, but at Boardman, I would say probably about 60% of the people who attend every weekend are young adults. They're millennials. And here's one of the reasons I can tell you why that is. Uh, because many millennials in this, in this study, two-thirds of them admitted that they struggled with doubt. The number one reason that they said they were leaving the church and leaving the faith was because they did not have a safe place to discuss their doubts. And I think that's a shame because the church ought to be the place we can bring our doubts. I think God is big enough to deal with our doubts as a matter of fact. And I don't think there's any question we can ask God that he gets intimidated by. And so today I wanna to talk about how do we deal with our doubts? And I wanna show you the result of what happened in this survey. These are the thousands of young people that are saying, yeah, I struggle with doubt. And really I didn't have anywhere to talk about my doubts. And listen to what happens. You'll see an infographic pop up here. 45% of those people that didn't deal with their doubts in the right way, they just stopped attending church altogether. They distanced themselves from others, from the people that they should be on the journey with. You know, we say we're better together. That's why this weekend, as we have our final Connect Group weekend, that's why it's so important. Because the more alone you are, the less alive you are, right? I mean, this is a core value of Believer's Church. How about this? 29% stopped praying and reading the Bible. Because why would I want to go to God if I don't even feel like God wants me to ask any questions? It kind of, it makes me not want to go to him, right? It's the opposite effect. And finally, this is pretty sad. 25%, they just stopped talking to their family altogether. And this is right where the enemy wants us. You know that? He wants us isolated. He wants us feeling ashamed. He wants us feeling like, man, I'm kind of a second-rate citizen in God's kingdom because I have questions, because I have doubts. And I like what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller is an amazing theologian. He has this incredible church in New York City, and he's since handed it off, and they have hundreds of partner churches, and they are reaching millennials and younger by the droves, by the, by the thousands. And here's one of the things that he says. He says that a faith that never has to deal with doubts is kind of like a body that doesn't have antibodies. It's weak, and at the first sign of challenge or resistance, it actually breaks down and crumbles. And so here's, here's what happens. I've watched it happen over and over again. Young people who kind of grew up with this bubble wrap belief system, their parents just kind of protected them from everything and didn't ever make them ask tough questions, didn't ever aim their hard questions at God in the way Jesus is modeling for us. The first time that something happens that disappoints them, uh, the first time a skeptic at their high school or at their university challenges them, their faith crumbles, especially when they go through tragedy. Tragedy will usually do them in. And here, here's what I can tell you. Your faith doesn't have to distance you or disqualify you from being a Christ follower. Your faith can actually draw you closer to God. Your doubts can actually draw you closer to God and strengthen your faith. 
And actually 53% of these same students that were surveyed said that when they actually brought their doubts to God in a healthy way and addressed them, it strengthened their faith. It didn't make their faith crumble, it strengthened their faith. And so that's what I wanna do today for just the next few minutes. Wherever you're coming from, uh, whether you've never really doubted God a second in your life, or, or whether you're probably like me and you've had some serious doubts and serious questions and you haven't really known what to do with your whys, this is exactly what we wanna answer. What do I do with my whys? Now, here's, here's the person I wanna to use to help us walk through this, this whole conversation. His name is Job. And I don't know of anybody aside from Jesus that had a worse day than Job. I mean, can you say bad day, Job? Job had a bad day. As a matter of fact, I'm just gonna make a confession in front of all of you guys, just don't tell anybody. I've never preached on Job for a very good reason because it's a super difficult book of the Bible to walk through. There's a lot of gray areas and there's a lot of things that are very difficult theological questions that you have to navigate through. But I'm gonna do it because I really believe it's gonna help us get where we wanna go today. And uh, let me just catch you up to speed on what's happening in Job's life. First of all, you gotta know this, that Job is the oldest book in all of the Bible. It actually predates Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. When you look at it, most people are shocked by this, but the Bible is not written in chronological order. So Job predates all of it. You gotta know this, we don't have time to cover it, but Job did not have a covenant with God. Uh, he predates Abraham, who had a covenant with God. He certainly predates Jesus. We have a better covenant based off of better promises sealed by the blood of Jesus. Some of you know this. Some of you, that's foreign, and that's great. That's another message for another time. But you just got to know, Job is in a different era. And here's the coolest part. Job, there was no fault found in him. God said he was a righteous man, and he could find no fault within him. Now, the way that the, the book of Job is laid out is in three parts. The first couple of chapters are a historical factual account of what happened in his life. And it's followed by about 35 chapters that are poetic in nature. And it's where Job is kind of pondering what's going on in his existence and, and really lamenting and complaining to God. And then there's a final few chapters where it goes back to historical account again. And so Job has a really bad day. I mean, all in one day, remember, he goes from being very blessed and having lots and lots of money, no need, all kinds of amazing children. I mean, they were a close-knit family, and all of a sudden, one by one, things just start dropping like flies. You ever had a day like that where it's like, man, I just get bad news from every side, and his kids have been killed, and, and his cattle have been taken, and his health, it, it's like the original Intruder song. It's like, hide your, hide your wife, hide your kids, hide your cattle, because they're taking everybody up in here, right? It's like, bad day. Bad day. Now, one thing that, that, wasn't, that wasn't taken was Job's wife. And um, theologians kind of speculate that this was on purpose uh, because <laughs> they, they kind of figure maybe like the devil had a little talk with his henchmen. He's like, you know, should we take them? And they're like, nah, leave her. She's good. She, she'd be part of his punishment. Because if you've never heard the story, Job is sitting there in an ash heap. And he's, I mean, he's got boils up and down his body. And he's using clay pottery to kind of scrape himself. And he's thinking his wife is going to have something encouraging to say. And what does she say? Why don't you just curse God and die? That's a gem of a wife, huh? Wait, wow, okay. Thank God for people in our corner. So, but we're being a little bit hard on her, right? Be, because anybody that walked through that would have some big time questions for God. And so, so Job, for 35 chapters with his so-called friends, they first of all go from kind of complaining and pleading their case to all of a sudden it really becomes like judging God's character a little bit. Kind of just saying like, we have this all figured out and God, you're wronging us. 
And I just want to take a quick time out. And uh, I, I want to just remind us of the journey we've been on as a church in the last six months, really. Can you believe that half of a year is almost done? That's, I can't believe it. And uh, at the beginning of the year, we started with just Jesus, right? And I love what we've been doing because we've been kind of like just popping the bubble of how we see the world through our Americanized belief system, right? And I, I don't know, maybe if you're new to church, you might not even realize this is something that you're doing. You might have been in church your whole life and you might still be doing this, but if our relationship with God is solely based off of what he can do for us and what he can give to us, then we're not really serving a God. We're ser it's like he's not a God, he's a butler, right? It's like, I'm not looking for Jesus, I'm looking for Jeeves. And that's not how it was meant to be. There's, there's something about it where if we're not careful, our mindset and our view of God can kind of get warped by our westernized way of thinking. And so I think it's healthy to talk about grace and love. We talk about it often because we believe it's everything, right? But I also think it's very healthy to be reminded of how big God is. And so I wanna just take a look at what, first of all, what Job says to God, and then I want you to see his reply. So this is Job chapter 30, verse 20. I call to you, God, but you never answer. Now just time out. I know, I know Job's going through a lot, and I know we've all kind of had days like this, but is that true? Does God never answer? No, it might be a little bit of an exaggeration. We all make them on bad days, right? Now, when I pray, you pay no attention. You ever just kind of felt like, God, I could be doing so much better of a job than you right now. Like, I could be killing it in the God department right now, and I just wish you could do things my way. Uh, guilty, right? We've all been there. And this is where Job is. And he, for 35 chapters, that sums it up. And then all of a sudden, like, buckle up, because here comes God. And oh yeah, by the way, he comes in the form of a storm. I don't even know what that looked like, but I'm so thankful he's never spoken to me that way. And listen, listen to what happens, Job 38, one through five. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and he said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Listen to this part, brace yourself like a man. I just got chills down my spine. I will question you and you shall answer me. And then he says this, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me, tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions, surely you know. And if, if you don't think the Bible's funny, you gotta just look a little bit harder, right? Cause like this is God having some sarcasm right here in a pretty dark moment. Job 38, 18, have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? I mean, tell me if you know all of this, what is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside? And oh, by the way, can you take them to their place? And do you know the paths to their dwellings? And surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived so many years. This is a God that's always existed, the beginning and the end. And he's, he's kind of just reminding Job, you ain't been around as long as you think you have. And here's where Job finds himself. It's the place that all of us find ourselves at some point in time in our life, whether we believe in God or not, whether we identify as a Christ follower or not, there's a point in all of our lives where we come to the realization that I do not know as much as I thought I knew. Like, I knew everything about marriage until I got married. <laughs> all the husbands said amen in the house of God. I knew everything about ministry until I went into the ministry. I really did. Um, I'll never forget, this has been 14 years ago. I, I was at YSU uh, going to get my degree 
I'm working part-time at State Farm Insurance, property and casualty insurance, not my calling, just kind of like, God, I need to be in ministry. I really felt called to do that, but the door hadn't opened yet, and I was underneath a really amazing uh, pastor couple, Pastor Michael and Kara Stewart. If you've been here any length of time, you know them. They're, they're awesome. They were leading our young adults ministry, and I don't know why, probably because I was just a knucklehead, but I just remember on State Farm Company time, taking about two hours one day and drafting a Word document on my 2004 Dell computer. And I just started listing all the things I would change about the ministry that I was in, all the things that were wrong about it. And I had it all figured out. I mean, I was, you guys don't know, it was brilliant, okay? I'm just letting you know. That's at least how I felt. I'm just typing away, cheating them of their dollars that they're paying me to do my actual job and thinking God's gonna somehow promote me to go do this if I can just show them all the things. And finally, I emerge with this Word document and I'm so proud of it. And God bless Pastor Michael Stewart for not strangling me in this moment, but I come into his office and kick the door open, my 18-year-old self, and I take this paper and I slide it across the table like I've just given him the Ten Commandments and, and I'm like, you know, ta-da, you know, and... He reads it and he was so gracious. And you know what good leaders do? They can find good in anything that you say. And then the things that you notice, they just make you the solution to the problem you present to them. And that's exactly what he did. And he put me to work. But you know what? All that it took was when I eventually actually took over that ministry for him a little bit later, I started to realize, man, I didn't know so much about ministry. Like, I know nothing. Uh, how about this one? Like, I knew everything about parenting until I became a parent. And every parent said amen in the house of God. I used to say dumb stuff like, my kid will never throw a tantrum. I cannot believe I ever said it. Man, they're, if they could just parent a little bit better, I don't think that, no. Then I had kids and I realized that that is what kids do, right? There's ways you can handle it, but no, no, that's not. I knew everything there was to know about theology until I had to attend a two-year-old girl's funeral. I knew everything that there was to know about ministry until I walked couples through and I gave them all the right advice and they still got the divorce. There was still infidelity and there were still problems. I knew everything there was to know about theology and God's word until I prayed with someone with great faith and they weren't healed and the person that just met Jesus was healed and I don't know how to explain that. There comes a point when we just realize I don't know as much as I think I do. And here's my question to you, like, is that okay? Are you maybe okay with that? Just coming to terms with the greatness and bigness of God. I wanna talk about that for a little bit more. I love what Job does in response now. So God has spoken in Job. He changes his tune in a hurry like any of us would. Listen to this, Job chapter 40, verse four. God, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth, smart man. In other words, I'm gonna stop talking and start doing some listening because he's realizing that only God knows the beginning from the end. And, and listen to what he goes on to say, verse one through five. I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And I wanna ask you something. If I could fully understand God, would he really be worth worshiping? If God and all of his bigness can fit in my pea-sized little brain, how big of a God is he really? And let me challenge you with this thought. The minute that we can fully explain God, he actually ceases to be God. 
Because if we really believe that he created everything from nothing, and he always was, and he is, and he always will be, there are certain things that right now, and until we see him face to face, we will not be able to explain. And so here's what I want to do. Just for the next couple minutes, I want to talk about three attributes of God in his character that I think can help you through any bad day. And uh, if, if you want, I, I would encourage you, grab the app and you can follow along on the message notes or just write these down because these are going to help you. Uh, maybe not even today. Maybe some of you are going through a great time in your life, but this is an amazing thing to have on the shelf and to dust it off when you need it the most. Here's the first thing. God is all powerful. The theological term is omnipotent, right? He, he's, he's omnipotent. There's, there's nothing he can't do. Colossians 1.16 says it this way, for everything, absolutely everything, and just in case you missed it the first two times, everything, got its start in him and finds its purpose in him. And he was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. What's God saying? He's got the whole world, right, in his hand. I mean, this is what it's saying. And this is why Jesus made statements like this. Hey, you will have trials and you will have trouble and you will have pain and persecution in this world, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And greater is he that lives in me than lives in the world, right? This is the assurance and the confidence that we can have in God. And you're gonna have people that say, man, how could you put your hope in a God that you can't see? And this is what I've resolved. I mean, I would so much rather entrust and hope in an all-powerful God than have a certainty in a very limited me. Because there are some things that I just don't understand. In the moments in my life where I put all my hope and all my trust in people, I'm sure it happened the same way it did for you. They let me down. This world will let you down time and time again, but an all-powerful God never will. And there's something about resting in that fact. Now, we kind of breezed by that one. I want to camp out on the next one. Here's the next thing you got to know about God on your bad days. God is all-knowing or omniscient. It's omniscience. It's the knowledge of all things. God is the ultimate know-it-all, right? You ever met somebody that, like, you cannot find a topic that they don't have some kind of worthless information about, right? Cannot stump these people, know-it-alls. God is the ultimate know-it-all. Oh, and you got to love it. Like, God has never had a thought occur to him. He's never said, you know what, I just thought of something. Like, God just, he knows it all. And that's a good thing. Like, listen to this, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. Might, might be one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. God speaking to us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher, my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And it's why when we go through bad days, we've got to pray sometimes for God to give us his perspective. Because there are going to be moments when we can't fully cope with it and walk through it if we're just seeing it uh, from our point of view. We've got to ask God to give us a higher perspective. You know, Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, he was just searching for a really cool way to demonstrate how much bigger heaven and God is than us. And he said to fully explain heaven and God to a human is kind of like trying to fully explain the internet to an ant. Or maybe better yet, it's kind of like Mark Zuckerberg trying to explain Facebook to senators. I don't know, but just <laughs> had to throw that one in there. It's difficult, and he goes on to say, like, there aren't even words in the human vocabulary that could fully depict or describe how great God is and how amazing heaven will be. 
It's amazing. And here's, here's the confidence I can have. This helps me to know I don't ever have to be afraid to entrust an unknown future to an all-knowing God. I don't. Even when there's unknowns in my future, I can trust that God knows everything and he's with me. You know, my kids, they're like the ultimate question machines. Any parents that have little kids, you know this to be true. Kids are amazing with questions. And, and in our house, uh, it, in our life, it typically happens when we're like on the way home from somewhere and it's late at night and we're in a car and my kids' minds start wandering and they will drop some, like, like I'm talking questions of the cosmos and the universe, right? Like I'll give you a real question that my daughter asked me one, one night. She, she asked, Dad, do you think the devil will ever really say he's sorry? I'm like, wow, it's a great, it's a great question. <laughs> and then she followed it up with, if, if he did say he was sorry, do you think God would forgive him? And I said, is that a bald eagle over there? Because I am, uh, <laughs> my goodness, you know, let her teach this lesson. Where do babies come from? Ask your mom. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Every now and then, every now and then they ask me a question and I actually do have the answer. But you know what I elect to do? Because I know where they are at the stage of their development and maturity. Sometimes, even though I know why, I choose not to tell them at this given point in time because I know they're not ready for the why. Now, I know down the road they can handle the why, but right now they can't handle the why. Does it make the truth any less true? Does it make the answer any less of an answer? No. But as a father, because of what I know that they do not, I decide to do it. This could bring you some comfort. Did you ever think about the fact that God actually doesn't exist within the framework of time? Time is a creation of God. He stands outside of it. You know what a great picture of this is? When you watch a movie on Netflix, you ever think about the timeline, that bar that is on the bottom of the screen? Can I tell you something? Whenever I'm watching like a superhero movie and I see a bad day happen for a superhero, I don't worry about it. I don't sweat it because I see the timeline. And you know what's really cool nowadays? You can take that little thumbnail and you can go all the way to the end of the timeline if you're ornery like me and you just want to know what's going to happen at the end. And you could even see a picture of what's going to happen at the end. And listen, you know who really doesn't sweat it when you're watching a movie? The writer. The writer. Because there's, there's no need to worry when you wrote the story. There's, there's no need to sweat it because you know the beginning from the end. And you know exactly what's gonna happen for them down the road. And even though they're living in the unknown, you are living in the known. And so listen, I wanna just encourage you. Could it be, could it be that some of the prayers that you have already prayed, that God actually already answered them, but he answered them down the line in your life. And you just haven't caught up with the answer yet. You're asking why the whole way, but God's already given the answer. And when it's the right time, you'll hear it. And listen, for some of the questions that we have in life, the right moment is gonna come in heaven when we're face to face with our Father. And that's okay. That's okay. We don't ever have to be afraid to entrust an unknown future to an all-knowing God. Here's the final one. God is ever present or omnipresent. He's ever present. Listen to this. Hebrews 13, five through six. This is God's promise to us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now don't, don't slide by this. Remember Jesus' question on the cross. My father, why have you forsaken me? Here's, here's the coolest part. 
Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that you would never have to be forsaken by the Father. How cool is that? Jesus stood in the gap and he took the punishment and the penalty for our sin and our sickness and everything that we would have had to pay the price for. Jesus paid the price for it on the cross and he was forsaken in that moment by the Father so you wouldn't have to be. Man, that's amazing. And so what's the result when we know this? Well, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. Why don't you just real quick, like you mean it at every location, TCI, Boardman and Warren, why don't you just say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. How about this time, just like you mean it with a little bit of conviction, say, the Lord is my helper. Boardman, I can hear you. You're not participating loud enough. I will not be afraid. One more time, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid because he's all powerful and he's with me and he's for me. There's this story of a young lady who, she had cancer and uh, she did everything with her parents that they knew to do. They got treatment and they prayed and she was a believer and nothing was changing and, and she finally, she passed. So her parents are just picking up the pieces of their life. Anybody that knows someone or has walked through tragedy, there's, there's just gonna be some layers of pain and grief that you're walking through. And so that's what's happening. And they stumble onto this journal that their daughter had. They start paging through it. They really had never done it before because they wanted to give her her privacy. All of these really precious thoughts, things she had written down because she was so positive through all of it. Well, there was this one statement and it was four words and it just said, the moon is round. And they didn't know what it meant. So they looked a little bit harder and finally they found a page where she elaborated a little bit more because it was throughout the book. Here's what she wrote in her journal. The moon is round and when darkness hides it and I can't see it, it's still there and it's still round. And what they discovered was that her window in the hospital was facing where the moon was most nights and some nights she could see the full moon and that was cool and it was this assurance to her that no matter what goes on and changes in my life, the moon's still gonna be there. But some nights, the darkness would cast a shadow on the moon and she could only see a sliver. But she would just remind herself that the moon is round and it's still there. And even if I can't see it, it's still there and it's still round. And can I just submit this idea to you because this is what she was really getting at. God is good. And even when doubt casts a dark shadow on God in his nature, God is still good. God is still there and present. God is there with me. God is good. And I think some of you have been walking through some really tough times. And if this was the only thing God was trying to communicate to you the whole entire weekend, it would be worth it. I'm with you. I'm there. I'm an ever-present help in a time of need. Psalm 46, nine says, God is our refuge and our strength, ever-present help in a time of trouble. And if I go up to the heavens, he's there. And if I make my bed in the depths of the earth, he's there. In other words, you can't go anywhere without God's presence. He's present in the pain. He's present in the joy. He's present in the suffering. He's present in the sickness. He's present through the relationship problem. He's present through it all. And he's God and he's with me. How about Isaiah 43 too? When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And don't miss this. You're still gonna pass through waters, but you'll pass through waters with God on your side. Isaiah 43, five, in case you haven't noticed the pattern, do not be afraid for I am with you. 
And here's the takeaway. I can face any why when I know who is with me. I can face any why when I know who is with me. Because if God is with me and God is for me, then who can be against me? There's something powerful about just realizing, hey, this is who God is. And even when life changes and even when the questions come, I'm going to know what to do with my wise. You know, there's another woman in history that had some bad days and some whys and some frustrations, questions for God. Her name is Fanny Crosby. And Fanny was born in the early 1900s. She lived to be 95 years old. And she lived all but six weeks of her life as a blind person. She was born with her sight. But in those days, medicine being what it was, the doctor was actually trying to help her and used a mustard poultice in her eyes and she lost her sight. And so the entirety of her life was lived in pain and darkness. You'd imagine having some doubts walking through something like that. But you know what? Fanny didn't let that stop her one bit. And she started to learn different instruments and she started to become a writer. And eventually she became one of the most well-known hymn writers of all generations. She wrote over 8,000 hymns in her life, one of which is Blessed Assurance, probably one of the most well-known hymns ever. And you know what? People would ask her, do you ever doubt God? What would you do if you could see? These, these tough questions. And after she had lived quite a bit of life, Fanny would say these crazy things like, you know what, even if God would give me my sight back, I don't know if I would take it back because I want the first person that I see when I get to heaven to be the person that saved me and the person that's ultimately gonna heal me. And I don't know how she could make statements like that, but there was something deep inside of her that said, no, I can trust God and I can walk through anything. And in Blessed Assurance, she says these words, she says, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And what's she talking about? What's glory divine? What, what is she tasting now that she's gonna fully experience later? Here's one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. We read it at funerals a lot because this is such an encouragement. Revelation 21.4, don't miss this. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears, gone. Crying, gone. Pain, gone. Oh, I like this next part all of the first order of things, gone. Here's what Fanny was saying. I might not have answers, but I still have an assurance. And sometimes an assurance is even better than having all my questions answered. Here's where I wanna end. I want you to see something about God's character and his nature. God is not mad at you or angry with you for having questions or having doubts. Who's the most notorious doubter in all the Bible? Thomas, right? Poor guy is called Doubting Thomas. He's probably super annoyed about that right now in heaven, a little bit, right? He's not the only guy in the Bible that doubted. But do you know what they called him? He was actually called Didymus, and that means twin. And I think the Bible is trying to say something loud and clear here, that a lot of us look like Thomas. A lot of us struggle with doubt. A lot of us struggle with pain. A lot of us struggle with whys. And you know what? Thomas says, notoriously, infamously, I'm not gonna believe in God. I'm not gonna believe in Jesus being alive until I see the holes in his hands and his feet and until I can actually put my hand where the spear pierced his side. You know what I love about God? God did not rebuke him for that. Jesus didn't get angry with him. Jesus met him where he was, even in his doubts, and he appeared to him. And then here's what Jesus said. 
John 20, 29. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Don't miss this part. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. In other words, there's a blessing in believing that's so much greater than a blessing in seeing. And what are we talking about here? The entire message is about faith. I want to read you one final scripture and then we're going to be done. This is quite possibly one of the most important scriptures you could ever read when you're going through bad times with God. It's Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith because faith is so important and essential when it comes to a relationship and a walk with God. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't do it because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now listen to this next part. I want you to think about any bad day you've had, and I want you to compare it to some of these. The the first part of Hebrews 11, they talk about all of these people who had great faith and God came through, and they actually received the promise in their lifetime. And then there's this section for people who actually didn't. Listen to this. They were put to death by stoning, and they were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet, yet, none of them received what they were promised. None of them received it. The Bible says they actually just saw it at a distance, but it was accredited to them as righteousness because they believed God to the end anyways. And here's the the determination we have to come to. I might not have all the answers, but I can have the assurance. I can face any why when I know who is with me. And there are gonna be some prayers that are answered on this side of eternity. And and listen, hear me, at Believer's Church, if it's in the Bible, we are gonna fill our hearts with it because faith comes by hearing the word of God over and over again. And so I'm gonna shoot for the stars. I'm going for everything God's got for me, not selfishly, but because faith pleases him. But even if he doesn't move in the way I thought he would, even if it doesn't happen on my timeline, I'm gonna trust him anyways. And there's a blessing that comes with believing God when we can't see it just as much and way greater than when we can. I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes at every location. We're just gonna have a moment with God. I've watched it happen now in in two services and I know it's happening here. I think some of you, God shared some scriptures today that might've even been, they were, they were like on your radar this week. You read it in another moment. You had a thought in today. You're like, I can't believe that that was actually talked about today. Some of you were ready to give up on God. Some of you were ready to walk away. I think there's somebody that walked into one of our locations and you said, this is the final week I'm coming to church. I'm done. And how good is God? And how big is he? That little old us, He loves us so much. He's so concerned with even those kind of details. And so here's here's what I'm gonna invite you to do in your own way, in your own words, wherever you are, TCI, Boardman, Warren, I want you to just come back to God and say, God, I don't have it all figured out, but I trust you. I can entrust an unknown future to an all-knowing God any day of the week. God, thank you for dealing with our doubts. Thank you that you're patient with us. 
Lord, we thank you for what you promise us that surely goodness and mercy, it will follow us all the days of our life. That we'll see your goodness in the land of the living. We'll live to declare the good works of the Lord. We'll we'll see good things in our future because there's a hope and a future planned for us. I wanna make one final invitation. If you're here and you kind of just feel like, man, I've never heard it put that way, but there's something deep inside of me that says I need to respond to this. Now's your moment. And all of this is for nothing if it isn't for Jesus. And so some of you, you grew up in church and you can honestly say you, you don't remember a moment. Maybe you were baptized as a child. Maybe you went to church like every week your entire, entire life, but you don't remember a moment where you said, God, I give you control of my life. Jesus, I put you in the driver's seat. I might not have it all figured out, but I'm gonna trust you. You call the shots from here on. Some of you prayed that prayer a long time ago and you found yourself back in church today and God's speaking to you and he's saying, hey, are you ready to follow me again? Get back up, dust yourself off. I've got a plan for you. Jesus made this statement about himself. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So here's the response. We just have to, we have to decide. We have to make a decision that we're gonna follow Jesus. We believe in our heart and we say with our mouth that he's Lord and there's a miracle that takes place. We're made new. He starts to help us and walk us through everything in this life. And it won't be a perfect life and you won't be a perfect person, but God, he's got this. He wants to walk you through it. So I'm just gonna lead you through a prayer at every campus. All the people, hundreds have prayed this already. They're gonna pray with us. Let's pray this together. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for me on the cross. Thank you that he was forsaken for my sake, that he took the punishment of my sin, my shortcomings, and he gave me mercy. And I didn't deserve it, and I certainly couldn't earn it, but thank you, God, for this free gift of salvation. And now, Jesus, I call you Savior, and I call you Lord, and I commit to follow you. In your name we pray. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.